Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. Our guest today is Deaconess, licensed counselor and author Heidi Gaiman. Heidi's written a book that's coming out in just a couple of weeks. It's called Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. We'll get to talk about her book today on the podcast as we discuss day three of the Come Holy Spirit Daily Discipleship Travelogue for Easter to Pentecost from Next Step Press. Before Heidi reads her meditation quotation on day three, she'll tell us more about her Finding Hope book. Then I get to read the Imagination Experiment on page 22 of the Come Holy Spirit book, and we'll close with a conversation about the individual and the community in relationship to baptism. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's exciting to be on this journey with you as we look for how the Holy Spirit is shaping the life of Jesus in us. And this week, we're especially talking about baptism and how the Spirit shapes in us Jesus' death and resurrection through our own personal connection to Jesus' death and resurrection in baptism. I'm so glad you're here. Now let's welcome Heidi Gaiman to the podcast. Heidi Gaiman joins us today. Heidi Gaiman, welcome back to the Next Step Podcast. Thanks for having me. Always a joy to be here with you and all the listeners. Uh, lo- love to have you back. Hey, we are just past it. We've just passed the one year anniversary of kind of COVID really ramping up and, and all that. And I, I read on your blog that you're going to celebrate a COVID versary dinner with your family to remember and reflect and, and celebrate, but also mourn. Did, did that happen and how'd it go? We did get to talk about, and we decided to do these in little bits and chunks, if you will, in our mm. home. It seemed like at first one event was not going to be enough. We got through uh-huh. maybe one question in uh-huh. our home and decided to go ahead and bring up another question the next time we mm. decided to sit down together. And so family meals are really important at our household. And so we had some special beverages, some pop and adult beverages, and we rolled out the red carpet of uh favorite foods that we had Mm -hmm. and uh, ate around some of our favorite comfort foods and started having this conversation about how COVID turned our life upside down and how we grew from what COVID brought into our life that turned it upside down. And holding both those things together was really helpful for us, I think, to see the hope and also acknowledge our own losses and things in it. And so, yeah, I don't think we're done, actually. I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure it's Mm going to run run through the month of March or perhaps into Easter. Wow. And, and, and when you decided to do that, what were, what were you hoping would happen in that kind of a situation? I wanted to give us all a place to process what we had been through. COVID brings with it so much loss and a lot of growth, but a lot of loss. And Mm. they're not losses that necessarily have names, or a ritual that go along with it. And in our culture, we're not great with loss anyway. We only have so many rituals. But ambiguous loss are these losses that don't have uh, imagery to go with them sometimes, don't have verbalization for them, need to be verbalized. They need to be given to one another and and processed, explained, uh, wrestled with. Mm -hmm. And so that was our goal is to be able to offer a few questions for ourselves. And they're on my Heidi Gaiman Writes Facebook page. There's a whole nother year that we can (laughs) use these questions to process, I think, if anyone's (laughs) interested in picking them up. And that is something I just wanted to offer my kids, my husband and I. But I 
think that it's really useful for any community that's coming together also to be able to verbalize the things that have been stuck inside of our hearts and our minds and our bodies for this last year. So just with a couple of friends or, or with your small group or with your family around the table processing together. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful idea. Thanks, Heidi, for sharing that. Uh, t- today, we've got the honor of talking about a new resource from Next Up Press uh, and also about a book of yours that's just coming out this Easter tide too. So today, we're in the first week uh, of this Come Holy Spirit Discipleship Travel Log. It's designed to fit really between Easter and Pentecost, although it could happen kind of any time during the year, but it fits really well in that time slot too. And today we're talking about this this first week that talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus as Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the dead, is raised by the Spirit from the dead, is raised by the Father from the dead. You can say it all three different ways, but also how the Spirit shapes that death and that resurrection in us. That's tied to our baptism and tied to daily repentance and renewal. So I'm going to start on page 20. I'm going to start the prayer, and then there's a couple Bible verses that Heidi's going to read, and then we'll get into that meditation quotation and personal reflection on the next page as well. So let's let's begin with prayer. Spirit of creation and new creation, join me to the death of Jesus. Bury me deep in the watery grave of my baptism. Kill my selfishness and pride. Join me to the death of Jesus, that the sins of my past may have no power over me. Then bring the power of Easter to my present reality. Raise me to newness of life, even now ahead of my eternal resurrection. Let the life of Jesus define my identity. Fill me, change me, guide me, and overflow through me to the glory of the Father. Amen. Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I love how those two verses go together, uh, the, the work of what Leo Sanchez calls the sculptor spirit shaping us to be like Jesus goes hand in glove with this idea of being joined to Jesus' death and to his resurrection in baptism. Uh, on the next page, on page 21, you see a, a personal reflection that says, the perfectionist doesn't want to go down into the waters of baptism and the fatalist doesn't want to come back out. Uh, by that, I mean the, the person who is wants to be perfect, needs to be perfect, is a perfectionist, can't admit that they're a sinner and therefore struggles with that concept of daily repentance. And on the other hand, you could also not want to come back out of the waters of your baptism and engage in real life. You know you're a sinner. You know you're going to fail. Uh, like kind of why bother? Because I'm going to just end up back here again. So I'll just stay comfortable in my safe little confession absolution bubble and not go out into real life. Uh, The perfectionist doesn't want to go down into the waters of baptism. The fatalist doesn't want to come back out. Heidi, there's a quote there on page 21, this meditation quotation, and it's from your new book, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. And I think it speaks to that. But before you read that quote, would you just just tell me a little bit about the book, Finding Hope, and, and what that book's all about? Sure. I wrote Finding Hope because I 
saw all around me, whether I was doing my therapy client work for mental health or whether I was at a speaking engagement and talking about one of my studies uh, or whether I was with my own family, the youth in our church, uh, the kids in our community, whoever, that there was a lot of shame and a lot of blame around the concept of sin, but around this broader concept that I don't think we talk about a lot, we don't have a name for called brokenness, which is the impact of sin in the world on us and all around us. And so when we don't, again, have language for things, it's really challenging then for us to process them and to verbalize them with one another. Instead, that shame comes in and we bury it deeper inside of us, which does turn into all myriads of mental health concerns as well as relational problems, or we throw it out at people, we blame them and we throw our words out um, in the heavy moments and in the moments that become really alive with emotion mm. that is, uh, you know, hasn't been processed. And so finding hope was uh, essentially me wrestling with what is sin and what is sin, but not sin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and what do we call that? And how do we talk about it in our communities? And how do we talk about it when we don't have the lens of Jesus, you know, with our neighbors? And mm -hmm. how do we talk about it with the lens of Jesus? And so I sat down to write a book on the messes of life, because that's the only idea I had in my head was that there's just so many messes. Mm. And for instance, in working in mental health world, I would never say to someone that their mental health diagnosis is their sin. Right. Uh, and, and that would be really detrimental to treatment. That would also be detrimental, though, if I did that within the church with a mm. brother or sister who is struggling with a mental health problem. But because we don't have language for what that is, I think a lot of times we accidentally call it sin. Mm -hmm. And and that doesn't lead to health, right? Instead, that leads to that shame or blame. And so in doing the writing then, and I had a lot of help from different friends and family members that really let me wrestled with the concepts in their space and gave me ideas and turned me to scripture and turned me to research and all of this good stuff to then be able to take messes and have a clearer idea of what this thing is and I'm ready to call it brokenness. And I want to give the reader that language of what is brokenness, but to do so because we're finding hope through the process mm -hmm. that the only way to get to the hope clearer is to call the brokenness by name and to call it together so that we feel connected in that process and also remind one another that God is always connecting to us, that our brokenness does not separate us from God because of Jesus Christ. And that is what I like to refer to as capital H hope. But a lot hmm. of times we need these tiny hopes, tiny pieces of hope in our life so that we can get to that capital H hope. And, and brokenness is really the route that God uses to do that. Hmm. Thank you, Heidi. That's that's beautiful. I, I love in your book how you're able to uh, deal with the brokenness, the sin in our own personal lives and the messes that our sin causes in our relationships. And then also that third category of, of sin in the world because we're fallen, that, that broader brokenness that is hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. I heard a lot in there. Let me double click on a couple of things. You talked about shame and blame. And it seemed to me you were talking about shame as almost an internal attitude towards our sin and blame is something we put on other people, an external movement with that experience of brokenness or even sin. Am I, am I hearing you right there? 
that's really close. I think it's not quite that simple. There's a lot of overlap in mm. all of these concepts. Yeah. Shame is always relational. And that's an important piece of shame that we work through in the book, oh. uh, that it, it always has to do with my relationship with God, uh, whether I see it or know him by name or not. Yeah. Uh, and it, it has to do with my relationship with other people. So shame is always relational. Relational. I would also say, though, that there is shame that is internal in the way that it has to do with my relationship with myself. Hmm. Uh, you know, that sense of self that we are given. And as Christians, you and I know that that sense of self at its core is child of God, forgiven, hmm. baptized, redeemed, yeah, restored. Yeah. However, there is more to that story of, you know, I'm different. Heidi is different than Justin. And mm -hmm. so we have a sense of self that's broader, that's worked around that, if you will. And so in that way, we do experience shame internally on our own. However, I think that we can see how that would always have to do with our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, our Even our judgment of ourselves comes from our understanding that we, uh, in some unconscious way, know that we are imperfect, that mm. we are capable of sin, uh, capable of much destruction, just as mm. we're capable of good, um, and that there is something bigger than us, something holier than us uh, that exists, that we we see ourselves in relationship to. As Christians, thankfully, we have names. We have <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in order to understand that clearer and then be able to process it clearly. And so we want to give uh, some space to the people around us who maybe don't have that understanding of Father, Son, or Spirit, no language for that. And I hope that the language of brokenness and the awareness of our brokenness, just the fact that we wake up in the morning, and yes, there might be joy and we might see the light, but so often we also see the dark places and we see the hurt and the pain. And that's a really great starting place for mm -hmm. people to start to learn who that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is. I remember one thing that was helpful for me was the difference, and, and these are Latin terms. I know there's other terms for them too, but I would associate with these Latin terms, the difference between Christus Vicar and Christus Victor. So Vicar is like a, a stand-in substitute. That's atonement. Christus Vicar is the theology that talks about Jesus as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. That's the my own personal guilt and sin stuff. And there's also the proclamation of Christus Victor, the victory of Christ over sin, death, and devil, over the whole brokenness of the world. So now the promise is not just that your sin is forgiven, but that brokenness is restored. It's not just that you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. It's that the creation will be renewed and new creation will come. And that new creation is already being worked ahead of time. And, and that's a proclamation of both law and gospel, that there's sin in the world and there's brokenness in the world, and Jesus is going to do something about it. I think it's interesting that in your personal reflection on the idea of perfectionist and fatalist, those two things both come from somewhere, and our, our preoccupation with those two things come from somewhere, our ability or our desire to lean toward one or the mm, other. Mm. And that has to do with the brokenness in the world. And it has to do with trauma. And it has to do with family struggles and, and our family of origin lens, maybe that was handed to us too. And, and wrestling with those things and being able to call out the sin where it's sin, but also have a way and a language to say, this is a place of unhealth and, and not working toward healthy for me, yeah. but not carrying it like a weight uh, that is all mine. Because yeah. in baptism, 
in Christ's death and resurrection, it says in Hebrews that, I think it's Hebrews, it might be Romans. Sometimes I get the two confused. It says that he took shame to the cross itself. You know, mm. he he went to the cross despising its shame. And one thing, I had a premonition that that phrase wasn't just about the fact that the cross was shaming for him and he just was like, whatever, I'm going to do it anyway, that mm. there was more to that concept. And so I did a lot of research on that for the book. And one thing I was really grateful was John Kleinig's commentary mm. on the mm-hmm. book of Hebrews, which mm-hmm. is a... It is a meaty feast, if mm-hmm, you will, mm-hmm, <laughs> if you picked it up. But he also agreed in that commentary that shame itself is part of that picture of what the cross was for, because mm-hmm. we are so often given in the brokenness to carry it for ourselves. And that's what the perfectionist does, says, you know what, I, I need to carry this, like I need to do it better, I need to do it more, I need to pray harder. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's never helpful because we end up on the hamster wheel. Hmm. And then the fatalist, same thing. We carry this idea that, uh, you know, we are not good enough, not worthy enough, or we have some kind of lack that there hmm. is something missing. Uh, so we might as well, you know what's the the French yeah. or the Latin phrase for that, <laughs> that we just, you know, kind of throw it away and say, yeah. whatever comes, comes. Yep. C'est la vie. Or there you Sarah, go. Sarah, Sarah. Or You're there's a couple different ones. On yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, that's, that's really helpful. And I don't know, I, for me, I, I tend to, it's a pendulum of perfectionism and fatalism. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't intend those as labels so much as when you're being a fatalist, you act like this. Oh, when you're being good. a perfectionist, you act like that. Mm-hmm. Would you see it that way too? Or do you think they're more of a kind oh, of absolutely. binary? Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, it's funny that you use the pendulum language because that is also my favorite language to use for these things. You know, I think it's interesting in our current culture because there is such a a black and white mentality that we see really, especially alive on social media or in our politics and things like that. And I I think it's allowed us to be honest, I hope, about the fact that that's the way we swing in general. Hmm. I I simply believe that we're doing it louder right now about very specific things. And so we usually are on one swing of the pendulum. Here's another one that I would say is easy to see once you've heard it out loud, which is vulnerability and boundaries. You know, Mm. we're either swinging way far to vulnerability um, and you know, sometimes that brings uh, more shame into our lives because vulnerability was always meant to be met with boundaries. And so Mm. we swing way over to boundaries without the vulnerability, (laughs) and that doesn't work either. Um, In our relationships or our relationship uh, that God has given us, Mm. uh, he has vulnerability and boundaries in both those things. And so I think the pendulum is a really great way to see it. And we we all swing on the pendulum. None yeah. of us <laughs> find ourselves perfectly in the middle at all times and, and rarely, honestly, perfectly in the middle. We usually can get real honest with ourselves and where we're swinging at a current time. You know, it's interesting that that, that pendulum and, and there is there is sin in the swinging of the pendulum that, that uh, that's met with this, what Paul talks about going into baptism into Jesus' death and being raised through baptism into newness of life. And that Romans 6 passage gets quoted at funerals all the time, but but actually it's it's not talking about the resurrection when the dead person is going to get up 
I mean, that's true too. And Paul has that in mind, but here he's actually talking about what happens like tomorrow, but you've been baptized. You're already walking in a resurrection kind of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that daily sense of there's this pendulum and then there's this cycle (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and the the pendulum is met by the cycle of, of dying and, and rising. But hey, before we get too far, much further afield, I, this is all preamble to this one quote. It's not a very long one, but it's on the top of page 21. Would, would you please give us the quote from uh, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration? Sure. Calling brokenness by name does not mean we're inviting shame or blame. We are looking closer at it to see hope more clearly. Hmm. Lay it on me one more time, Heidi. Calling brokenness by name does not mean we are inviting shame or blame. We are looking closer at it to see hope more clearly. So I see some important words in there that we've already been talking about. You're you're saying we're calling brokenness by name. In other words, there's this vague sense of things just not being right and I don't have a name for it. And by naming it brokenness in myself and my relationships in the world, I can handle it differently or better. Is that part of this quote? Absolutely. It, so there is that that method, if you will, that that layer that is just the simple knowledge that there's something called brokenness and it mm. impacts all of us. There's also in the book, you'll find what the awareness of that brokenness does to our vulnerability, to our resilience, to our emotional life and our relationships in particular, because mm. uh, that awareness is another kind of brokenness. Mm. And it gets it gets, sounds a little complicated, but it's really helpful, again, to have this language for something that's uh, broader than just sin uh, in sin's yeah. existence. There's also, though, when we say by name, we mean both the brokenness and, and calling something brokenness, but also naming particular brokennesses mm-hmm. in our lives. And so I'm hoping that's one thing the book does. In the introduction, one thing I invite the reader to do is to become a little bit more familiar with their own things that have been in their life that they would call brokenness. And to say that out loud, for instance, if a mental health diagnosis has been part of your life or someone in your family's life, it's okay to call that by name. By calling it by name doesn't mean that we're inviting more trouble into Mm. our lives or that we're opening Pandora's box. I think those are some cultural and church misconceptions, Mm. if you will. But if divorce is part of your narrative or the narrative of your family, being able to call that by name and say there is an aspect of brokenness in this, maybe some good stuff has come because God works good in wild ways. But to honor the brokenness that is also part of it is a very powerful thing that I do not see happen a lot, especially with these more challenging things in our lives that are uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and so that's why you have the, it, it does not mean you're inviting shame or blame. So to name it is not a, a negative action, uh, but you say we're looking closer at it to see hope more clearly. And there's the capital H hope that you mentioned. That's mm-hmm. a capital H hope word. Tell me what that last part of the quote is about. We're, we're looking at brokenness to see hope more clearly. What do you mean? Well, you know, I have a firm belief, and this is after years of working uh, with therapy clients as well as biblical study, that if you look at a lot of the accounts in scripture of very real people and their very real problems, and if you look around you at your own life and the people around you, that they have their own very real problems 
that we do not serve ourselves well in any way, nor our spiritual life and our discipleship walk well in any way when we Pollyanna it Mm. or when we try to see only the good or only the joy. I mean, there's so many signs out there about choosing joy right now. Um, (laughs) And so there is some truth in that, but so often that's half the story. There is a lot more meat of life that is more painful than we care to admit, I think, because we're scared that we will invite that shame or blame if we admit it. And so in order to get to the hope, real hope, capital H hope, big Jesus kind of hope, but also the tomorrow hope of Mm -hmm. the new creation and uh, God restoring all things, not just... uh, not just his reign here on earth, if you will, in mm. in bright lights and, and glory and all that stuff, but also restoring me and my body yeah, yeah. To, to perfection, to glorification mm. of something that doesn't have to hold all of the struggle and, and trauma and fear and all of that stuff. Um, and then also we'll restore all relationship, you know, that there's going to be this time when it won't be so hard to communicate together. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much uh, hope in that. And, and I think you can mm. probably even hear the joy in my voice. Yeah. But a lot of times we think that we're going to get to those things, hope and joy and goodness and uh, patience and and just all those wonderful things of the spirit that we want by uh, going through some motions or doing all the good things. And in reality, mm. uh, it usually is through the brokenness that God brings those things into our life. Um, and so I really believe that by having uh, a, a writer, if you will, that has a friendly tone that also shares stories of my own experiences of brokenness, I want the reader to feel like this is a safe place when they pick up the book to be able to also process some of their own brokenness and be able to have that shame lifted. You know, Jesus took it on the cross so long ago, but we need each other every day to remind that he is working. And like you said, the resurrection isn't for someday, it's mm. for today and yeah. tomorrow and the yeah. next. And and you do such a good job with that. The the book is so easy to read and so enjoyable. And you take you take our hands so gently and and carefully and also firmly. Uh, it's it's really a delight to read. So thank you for that. Um, I think the Romans six four verse again. You you don't get to the good stuff by avoiding the hard. Paul says we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, new creation life already now. It's in the midst of the death that the life is also present. I, I love that quote. I love the whole book. I think the the perfectionist is the one who wants to avoid shame and blame, and, and the fatalist, when we're, our pendulum is swinging that way, then we don't think there's any hope at all. And so that quote for me really summed it up. Hey, Heidi, I, I love talking to you like this, and and I, I'd like to quite literally just turn the page before we're done and turn one page in, in the book to page 22. This is in page 22 of the Come Holy Spirit Discipleship Travelogue, and I would like to read this imagination experiment. This is based on research, not from the apostolic days, but from the earliest records we have of the institutional church of what baptism might have looked like. So I'd just like to read this and then get your response from that as well. When the church was just becoming an official institution, your baptism would have gone something like this. 
On the evening before Easter, you are led to a room below your local church. At this point, having a whole building set aside for Christian worship is still something new. In the stone floor, you see an octagonal baptismal basin about three feet deep. You learned that the eight sides signify the eighth day, when the seven-day cycle of the old creation is broken and a new creation begins. Jesus rose on the eighth day, and your baptism will be an eighth-day resurrection, new creation event. Ephatha, the word Jesus breathed out in Mark 8 to open ears and lips, is also spoken over you, so your lips can speak words of faith. You face west to renounce the devil and east to pledge fealty to the kingdom of God. A prayer invokes the spirit to hover over these baptismal waters. At this point, the men and women are divided and attended to separately by deacons and deaconesses. You see, you're going down into these waters as buck naked as the day you were born. You set aside your old clothes, your old identity, and step into those new creation waters. Perhaps you kneel in the water. The triune name of God is spoken over you. So much water is poured over your head that you can hardly breathe. Gasping for air, you come up out of the flood, receive an anointing of oil and the spirit, and towel off in time to put on new clothes. Healed and sealed, clean and redeemed, you head upstairs where the rest of the congregation welcomes you as a candlelight service is about to begin, as Easter morning dawns, you receive communion for the first time. Imagine experiencing that story. What stands out for you? How about you, Heidi? What stands out for you in that uh, historical account? Oh, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost in the beauty. I think that... Uh, one of the biggest pieces that stands out for me is uh, I can almost hear as you read that the crowd of witnesses, the cloud mm. of witnesses cheering yeah. when I become <laughs> part of yeah. them, that we are doing this life together. I think that is interesting to me because it's it's a background piece, right? It, mm. It's not the central focus, the, the water, yeah. uh, Jesus's words is the central focus that, that those eight sides, uh, all of that meaning. Um, but I think knowing that all those pieces are knit together in this wider story that we are all living in, that God is bringing us through is, is quite remarkable. Um, yeah, and you, you go upstairs and the whole congregation is there. Yeah. I mean, they know you're in the basement. You're like, they're yeah. praying for you. They're excited because <laughs> these new people. This is uh, actually, I, I couldn't fit it all in on this one page, but this would have been in the time in the church where you were not yet saying things like the Apostles' Creed or the mm -hmm. Lord's Prayer in your weekly Sunday divine service liturgy. Uh, that, that would have been taught to you just a couple weeks before. You know, you're okay. ready to become a Christian. So now we're going to teach you the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And that was like insider information. So mm -hmm. you're definitely, it's definitely focused on this eighth day new creation being joined to Jesus. And it's also focused on being joined to this community that's, mm -hmm. that, that, own, that is defined by things like the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, 
it is really remarkable too how those two things are held together. Uh, that it is a very individualized thing when Jesus pours that water over you. I I picture Christ doing it himself. Obviously, mm, there's a mm, person yeah. <laughs> doing that. There's, uh, like you said, these deacons and deaconesses and and the pastors, if you will, of the church at that time. But you know, I can in the reading of this page see Christ pouring over me. And Mm. that is a powerful picture. I think that we all need to know that we are walking in that newness. Mm. Um, It's a lot less intimidating than some guy (laughs) doing it. And so there is that individualized piece that the God of the universe sees me and breathes into me the spirit in that moment. Wow, that's really, really powerful. And I think about then our daily meditation in the word um, and breathing in and breathing out um, that, epitha, mm. you know, it's just a very powerful tool, I think, then that we can take to have that individualized experience with God, but then to stand up and rejoice and be joined with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's happening here. And I think that that is, uh, we need both those pieces and we have to hold them together. It, it, just like anything else with the pendulum, right? We could yeah. take one side yeah. or the other and we need both. Yeah. Hey, how about how about you, Heidi? Is there what what do you know about the day you were baptized? Mm. So I was baptized very young. Mm. I was baptized on Mother's Day, just a couple weeks old, because oh, my parents wow. were going to get ready to move. And uh, you know, it's interesting because we do not celebrate uh, baptismal birthdays in my family of origin. However, every Mother's Day rolled around and my mom would be like, it's the day you were baptized, even though there's no, it doesn't fit the date on the calendar. And I really don't know that date at all. Uh, But for her and for me, Mother's Day was the day I was baptized. And so I always grew up with these yearly reminders of that, which I think is really cool because we were kind of in and out of different kinds of churches and were real devout Lutherans until later. And so that's a cool part of the narrative for me. And then in my own family today, uh, we aren't real religious about celebrating our baptismal birthdays, Mm -hmm. but we do try to eat things. (laughs) (laughs) As the beginning of this podcast attested is that we generally celebrate uh, community and celebrate our own uh, special accomplishments and things like that around uh, food of some kind. And so usually around your baptismal birthday, whether it's the day of or, you know, a week before or after, depending on when we think of it, uh, we pick up a tiny cake or a piece of pie. You get to request, you know, your favorites. And so that's kind of a cool way, I think, that also fits with that piece of coming up to that candle light service and then sharing an agape meal and things like that, where you would be part of the community in that. Occasionally we'll light a candle, um, mostly because, you know, that's what happens at baptism so Mm -hmm. often. And my, my husband's a pastor. And so he'll think of something like that. And I think our family is really good at, uh, intentionally being spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so you never know what piece of baptism we're going to talk about each year or reflect on. uh, But it's always kind of cool. Maybe it's the cloth that year when we pick up our cloth napkins. Um, But we we take a a moment usually to celebrate in some way with whatever spontaneous piece is in front of us usually. 
Yeah, that's neat to to think about how you might celebrate it. It's how do you make it personal? How do you how do you remember your baptism daily? How do you remember it on an annual? You know, and again, if you, it becomes it can become a law and a thou shalt have fun and thou shalt rejoice in thy <laughs> baptism and it becomes choose its own joy. kind of burden. Choose joy, yeah, yeah, right. Choose joy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Turn that frown upside down. No, um, yeah. So that real living out of the processes is is key to it too. But mm-hmm. uh, what well, neat neat to hear the story. Hey, mm-hmm. your book, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration, is a real gift to the church. And uh, it's so good to talk to you again today. Thank you for taking time to be with us. And thank you for having me. And thank you for your kind words. And I really appreciated the input that you were giving me on all the topics in the book. I think, again, with community, we all need uh, those people in our lives who can help us wrestle with uh finding the hope and the brokenness and the restoration pieces too, as well. So I encourage the listener to take that piece of it. This conversation we had about it today, find your conversation partners when you uh, yeah. pick up finding hope or yeah, remember your baptism or whatever things yeah. that you do. Yeah. The come Holy spirit book. We, uh, mm-hmm. we follow Jesus better when we follow him together. And that's the mm-hmm. personal following in community. Both, mm-hmm. both things are important. And Hey, I wanted to thank you before we came on. I said, thank you, but I want to thank you publicly for the nice things you said about the emotional Emotional devotional, following Jesus in every emotion. I'm so proud of that project. My my girls were a part of it. Uh, these these teens put together this project and wrote this book. And it, to me, it's a real clear invitation to follow Jesus in, in everything you're experiencing. And I was so glad that you gave us your input on, on that book as well. Well, thanks for including me. I'm very excited to get a hard copy in my hand and share it with some of the teens in my own life. I think it's such a powerful thing for them to hear from uh, their own voice mm-hmm. instead of uh, always the adults and mentors in their life. I think that is important and we do need to have that back and forth conversation. But there is something powerful about knowing that you have a voice because you heard it from someone who yeah. you know is in the same life stage as you. Awesome. Hey, Heidi, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That was deaconess, licensed counselor, and author of the book, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration, Heidi Gaiman. I'll link to her book in the description of this podcast, as well as to her blog on her COVID anniversary meal. And I'll also link to the emotional devotional that we talked about there at the very end. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. This kind of podcast with these kind of interesting guests would not be possible without the generous support of Next Step patrons. Next Step patrons simply agree to support the mission and ministry of Next Step Press through some kind of regular monthly gift. If you'd like to check that out, I'll also put a link to Patreon. That's what we use for Next Step patrons. I'll put a link in the description of this podcast as well. Wherever you are on the pendulum of perfectionism and fatalism today, know that Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is shaping in you the death and resurrection of Jesus daily in your baptism so that you also get to already now walk in newness of life. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time at Next Step Press.